0: Man, it is so amazing uh, to get to be here with you guys, and, and um, it's such an honor. You know, it's always fun when I go to other places, especially places way outside of the South, and, and, um, and you know, it's just always sad, because, like, I went to college, and I read books and stuff, um, but God just saw it fit that for the rest of my life, I would sound like Forrest Gump, so like, Jenna. <laughs> it's all right. It keeps me humble. You know, it's hard to get the big head when you... Sound like Forrest Gump. So, but it's great to be here, and and and, and with all that's going on t- today in the world, and uh, and with, with with where we are just as a country. I just thought, man, what if, what if we just talked about for a minute, not 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 all the stuff that's going on, but our value, you know, our our potential as a church, but really as individuals. You know, the reality is that as this church continues to grow. And it is going to continue to grow. That sometimes it's easy to kind of sit on the back row, to kind of come in and and, and go, man, there's no place for me. Like, where in the world, how in the world could somebody like me, having done what I've done, having gone through what I've gone through, how in the world could somebody like me ever really make a difference in this world? A real difference. And man, I'm here to tell you today that I believe that you were made on purpose and for a purpose. I believe that God has plans for your life, and I believe his plans for you are good. And I want to, spend some time today to try to look at that in God's word. And and maybe today would be the day that you take a step into all that God has for you. If you got your Bibles, I want you to head to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, and then we'll also be in Acts chapter 3. So if you bring your Bibles, I don't know, some of you may not know this, but they actually um, actually print these things out. They have a, um, you can go, they have stores, you can go to a store and they, they have whole sections, and you can print them out. and There's paper in it, and you can highlight it and stuff. It's neat. It's a new thing. It's a sweep in the nation. Um, so you can try that. And um, so uh, we're we're in this situation where we got this guy named Moses. And now, uh, if you grew up in church, you've been around church for a little while. You know, you're not a stranger to good old Mo. He he uh, he he got the ten commandments, and and seas uh, parted, and he does really kind of a lot of awesome things throughout his life, and. Help free God's people from captivity. And... But I think sometimes we miss really kind of the story. It's been glamorized and in the movies. And some of you are old enough to remember like the old Charlton Heston Ten Commandments. If you don't Google it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Charlton Heston. Ten Commandments. Where he stands up there and Charlton Heston really talked with his teeth, you know. Firo. Let my people go. Right, right. And there was like this big thing, had this legit beard that was glued on real nice and tight. And and so that's kind of the image that we have of this, I mean, Charlton Heston this very articulate man, he stands up in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, okay, and then they let the people go, and then the people are freed. But the reality is, when you go back and actually look at how everything happened, that's just really not the way it all shook down. What we find is a man in Exodus chapter 3 that is broken. You ever been through some stuff? Nobody in this church ever been through some stuff. I've been through some stuff. And Moses had been through some stuff. In fact, the Bible says that he got in an altercation with a man, and he killed him. And then, on top of that, the Bible says that he looked around. He looked this way, and he looked that. And then he, the Bible says he he buried the man in the sand. I believe with all of my heart that Moses, for the next however many years of his life, and I believe at the moment of the altercation, he was still a young man because he wasn't married yet. There's no mention of Egyptian kids. There's no, you know, so like he's still very young at this point. What we do know is when the burning bush would finally begin to speak to Moses, that he was 80 years old. And for some 60 maybe plus years of his life, Every single day, I believe that when he laid down to go to bed, he thought about that man's face as the last handful of sand went over the top. Like Every single day, he was reminded of the failure in his life. When you get to Exodus chapter 3, you realize that the Bible says he's on the backside of the desert. So he flees from Egypt, he kills a man, he's scared, he flees. He runs out into the desert, and then the Bible says... He would eventually uh, get him a girlfriend, and they got married. And then he's, he goes from being a prince in Egypt to being a, a sheep herder, the Bible says, on the backside of the desert. And then here's the worst part. Tending, the Bible says, his father-in-law's sheep. Guys, the only thing worse than tending sheep on the backside of the desert is tending your father-in-law's sheep. Like, they were his sheep. They were like, he leased the sheep. They were leased sheep. Like a lease to own sheep program. So they're not even his sheep. And so every day, this sheep, they smell bad and they're running off. And he's like, well, I'm going to leave the 99 to go get the one, you know, whatever. And like, he's just mad. They're like stupid sheep. You're not even my sheep. Just mad. And I'm pretty sure he's probably every day getting up thinking, God, you completely forgot about me. You completely forgot about me. If you were ever there, if you're even real, you forgot about me. And I don't know, some of you, I believe, are here today, and you think that. You think there's a promise that God made to you years ago, and you think because it hasn't come true yet that he forgot about you. Listen, let me say this. This is a word for somebody in this house. They made Saul king the next day, and he went crazy. They made him king because of the way he looked and the way he could talk and how handsome he was. They anointed David, and he wouldn't become king for 22 years. If you have a David call on your life, don't get on a Saul timeline. Hmm? Hey, let me me say something, church. I'm coming in. I'm getting warmed up, okay? I'm, I'm coming in right now like a seven, like a loose eight right now. Y'all are coming in about a three. (laughs) So we pick up with this moment. There's this burning bush moment where God begins to speak to Moses and says, Hey, listen, I can use you to do something great. See, I didn't forget about you. I was waiting. I had to wait for some stuff to happen. I had to wait for you to grow up a little bit. I had to wait for you to mature a little bit because I could have called you to release some people, but the gift that's on you would have destroyed you because the thing that was in you couldn't sustain you. So I had to send you to the backside of the desert because God will always pull you out of obscurity to do something great. You know, the number one aspiration of the millennial generation is to be famous. Hey, listen, young people, let me talk to you for a second. Everyone in Scripture, to include Jesus Christ himself, God had to pull out of obscurity to use for great things. And some of us resent the only place that God could send us where he would actually be able to develop us to use us. Moses is on the backside of the desert. That's why I love your pastor. Now oh, he's world famous. I mean, everywhere—I literally, I'm not kidding, everywhere I go, somebody knows your pastor. Everywhere I go, everywhere in the country, people talk about your pastor, they talk about this church and the amazing things God is doing here. Everywhere I go, they're talking about you in Australia, a whole entire ocean away, they're talking about you. But you know what I love about your pastor? For 14 years, nobody knew his name. They didn't know who he was. And he didn't get into it so that somebody would. He got into it because he believed that the world needed hope and healing. And out of that place that God refined him in that place of obscurity, God's using him now all over the world. It's amazing. So God begins to speak to Moses and says, listen, I, wanna, I, I want you to go deliver my people. And then Moses starts giving all these kind of excuses. You ever given God an excuse? It's happened to me. He begins to give him all these excuses. And in chapter 4, he says this, Moses said, Lord... And this is a whole chapter now, you got to keep in mind, a whole chapter of him fighting with the creator of the universe as to whether or not he could actually be used in a mighty way. It says, Moses said to the Lord, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. That's another way of saying, it, like, hey, he had a severe stutter, a speech impediment. And it would have been incredibly embarrassing because God is saying, I want you to go up in front of Pharaoh who believes himself to be a god. And with your stutter, with your speech impediment, I want you to go up there and tell him to let the people go. And Moses is going, how is that really going to work out? I can remember the dude's got rings all over himself, looking like Kanye, walking around. Got the big, and he said, and he's like, let my people go. And Moses' Pharaoh's like, mm-mm. Nope. And the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight? Who makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I'm going to teach you what to say. Moses said, Lord, please, somebody, send somebody else to do it. I appreciate your enthusiasm, God. But I wonder if there would not be someone else that had maybe taken a speech therapy class. I smell like somebody else's sheep right now. The Bible says the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. And check it out. He is already on his way to meet you it's because your God is already working on a solution before you even know there's a problem. So this entire thing, he's like, God, I can't, you can't use, I'm a murdering stutterer from the backside of the desert. You can't use me. And God says, listen, I know you're not great at speaking, so I'm going to go get your brother, and he's going to come, and he'll do the speaking for you until you grow up a little bit, and then you can start to talk. You know what's interesting? If you go to the 27th verse of the fourth chapter in Exodus, where we have a chapter and a half of God speaking to Moses, and Moses fighting him and giving him all these excuses and all that kind of stuff. We have this one sentence in verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, hey, go into the desert to meet Moses. Uh, So he went. (laughs) You get a chapter and a half of Moses fighting with God. Now, here's the deal. Here, here, here's what would happen if I'm Aaron. Okay, here's how that conversation goes. Aaron. Yeah, God? Hey, um, uh, I've heard the cries of my people, and it's time to let my people go. We're going to free them. We've got to go to Egypt. We're going to free my people from captivity. And I'd be like, <laughs> all right. What you're saying, God, is you want me to be the boss. I'm down. That sounds great. I will be the boss uh, people will speak the name of Aaron for all time. That's great. I'll go. And, and God goes, uh, um, this is awkward. Um, okay, no, I need you to actually go help your little brother, Moses. Uh, he's going to be the boss, and I need you to help him. I'd be like, uh, God. <laughs> I don't know if you do background checks, uh, when you are trying to find someone to free entire people groups, um, but Moses killed a man. <laughs> like, there was none of that. There was none of that conversation, right? He just said, God, if you've said it, I'll do it. Now, when you look back in the actual moments of this deliverance of God's people, that it was Aaron who did the first several miracles in the presence of Pharaoh. It was Aaron who first addressed the problems. And here's my reality, and here's your reality. All of us kind of dream about being Moses, but you never get Moses if you don't have Aaron. I spent half of my life trying to be Moses in every room I walked into until I finally woke up one day and realized I was just supposed to be somebody's Aaron. When we left our church to move to Birmingham, I realized that I was to spend the rest of my life just helping people. Hold somebody else's arms up. Try to help somebody else win. For some of you today, you feel like Moses a little bit. You feel like God has called you to do something great. But you're running your resume through your head, and it doesn't look very good. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God can use you absent of your flaws, but more than likely, he will use you in spite of them. He could use you absent. like he, I guess he could probably like hit you with a lightning bolt and make you perfect. But here's the reality of who God is. The reason He takes a murdering stutterer like Moses and pulls him out of obscurity to do something great is so that when God's people were freed and the miracles happened, nobody would accuse Moses of doing it. And God will take regular, broken, and ordinary people and use them to do extraordinary things so that when great things happen, He gets the credit. Some of you think your resume is your liability. I'm here to tell you today it's your ministry credibility. Listen, I love working with people that have been through some stuff. I won't even hire people that had not been through some stuff. If you ain't been through some stuff, that's why, that's why I stay, I'm talking to the staff. Y'all been through some stuff. Listen, I don't hire people that haven't been through some stuff because they don't know how to love people in the stuff. Moses, Moses got pulled out of the backside of the desert so he'd never forget what it felt like to be a nobody from nowhere. 2 Corinthians 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, here it is, and at all times, having all that you need, you're going to abound in every good work, but it's because of His blessing on your life. Here's the problem. For such a long time in the local church, we kind of quit teaching at the rainbow. You know, I, you know what I mean when I say? We quit teaching at the rainbow. So you got Noah's Ark. You ever been, you ever, got, ever gone to a nursery and seen it uh, look like a bathtub with a giraffe with his head stuck out? And Noah's always like sitting like with like his arm out like it's a Cadillac. And he's like. But the reality is what the Bible actually says happened is he built this boat took him 100 years to build the boat. The rain came. He got on the boat with his family. And then when all the rain dried up and it finally went away, the first thing it did, the Bible didn't say that he um, built a city. The Bible didn't say that, you know, they had a picnic. The Bible says the very first thing he did is he got out and he planted a vineyard. Okay? Because he'd been locked up in a boat with his family for a little while, and he needed to drink. So he built a vineyard, and then the Bible says that the very next thing that happened is Noah got drunk and passed out naked in his tent. Okay, the Bible said this was the best man in the whole world. This was the best guy that God had in the whole world. First chance he got, he got drunk and passed out naked in his tent. So what I'm trying to tell you is if you've ever done something you're not proud of, if you ever had a little bit too much to drink, if you ever been naked in a place you weren't supposed to be, Sounds like God might be able to use you. But we quit teaching at the rainbow. Because the other one would look bad on a nursery wall. God's going to take you with all your junk, and he's going to use you to do something great so that he gets the glory. So, listen, if you've got a past, God's desire, his deepest desire is to redeem that thing and to take the thing that you want to hide from everybody, okay? And he wants to take that thing and he wants to use it to be the thing that you use to help get somebody else free. Number two, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes write this down <laughs> God doesn't just want you to do something great. He created you to do something great. You were actually formed and you say not me, Josh. See, I can't preach. I I can't sing. I can't You know who my you know my favorite person this whole church is? A little girl over here on that bass guitar. She's wearing that thing out. She's in there. <laughs> you say, I can't do that? I don't want to hold a baby. Man, how in the world, God, could you ever use me? I'm telling you, he doesn't just want you to do something great. He actually created you to do something great. And Ephesians 2.10 points us to that. He says, we are God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. The third thing you need to understand, the people you surround yourself with can either be a catalyst or a crutch. Here's the deal. Moses, he goes out, and he, he, so here's the, here's the actual scenario, okay? So y'all are Pharaoh, I'm Aaron, and then we got Moses right here, okay? He's a stutterer, he doesn't know how to speak, and uh, he's super nervous. And, uh, and so the Bible says the way that it worked was, so Aaron's standing there, and, he, and, and the Bible says that Moses would tell him what to say, and then Aaron would just say it to Pharaoh. It wasn't, none of, it wasn't Aaron's idea. So he'd be like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Let my people go, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-mm. Mm. Now. <laughs> so that's like kind of it's like what? And so there's this kind of kind of exchange. You know what I believe with all of my heart, and I wish it was in the Bible, but it's not. But to see the development of Moses throughout all of these miracles, I believe that this is what was happening every night. They would go back to the tent. The miracle would happen. Pharaoh's heart would harden, and then he wouldn't let the people go. And they would go back in, and Aaron would say, hey, little brother, listen. Tomorrow, when we go to Pharaoh, you do it. You speak, little brother. You can do it. I believe in you, okay? God's called you to do something great. He didn't call me to be the boss of this thing. I'm not going to be able to speak to the people forever. So you're going to have to work it out. You can do it. And and then those first couple of miracles, Moses was kind of like, ah, I just, I just, I, Aaron, I can't, man. I, uh, my, 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 my mouth gets all bound up, and I, I get nervous. And he says, well, I'm going to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And then we're going to pray, and I think tomorrow's your day. Let's go. And then the next day, he'll be like, hey, listen, little brother, you can do this. Because the people in your life, I'm telling you, can be a catalyst or they can be a crutch. And I believe that God is calling you to get around a group of people. They're going to call out the great thing in you. Instead of always remind you that you're a murdering stutterer from the backside of the desert. Listen, people dissatisfied with their place in this life will always try and put you in yours. You've got to get around people that are going to call out the God potential in your life. And look at the people and say, I I know you got a past. I got a past. I believe that God can take our mess and turn it into a message. And i got to get around people. The greatest avenue for that, if you're new into this church, the greatest avenue for that is to get into a group. Listen, I think you can get changed. Uh, I think you can get saved in a line like that, but you're going to get changed in a circle. You're going to get changed when you get around a group of people that know all your mess. So some of you feel like Moses, like you've been called, but you feel like your past kind of disqualifies you a little bit. Some of you kind of feel like Aaron and quite honestly, God's speaking to you about all these great things and you see all these other people that would seem to be getting elevated and in the desire of our country just to be famous or to be, to have some kind of, like we, we feel like the more likes you get or the more followers you have, that somehow means like the better person that you are. And so I want to give you a couple thoughts today because for most of us, we're called to be Aaron's in somebody's life. In fact, you know what I've always believed? I believe in somebody's life. I'm somebody's Moses. And in somebody else's life, I'm probably their Aaron. You know, in my life, I try to be a Moses to my wife. Like, I, I try to lead her well, but I'm going to tell you, there's not a greater helper on the face of the planet. I looked at her and said, hey, let's move to a city where we don't know anybody and start a church from nothing. She's like, okay. What's up? If you have a vision for your life that you can do by yourself, it's less than God's best for your life. The God of perfect community made you for community. So this isn't enough. A one-hour church service is just not going to be enough to see all that God wants to do in your life. So if you feel like Aaron, real quick, three quick thoughts. Number one, you don't have to be in front to change the world, but you do have to say yes You don't have to stand on the platform. You don't have to put the mic in your hand to change the world. But you're just going to have to say, God, whatever it takes, whatever you want me to do, I'm all in. What I love about Aaron is he could have resisted. He could have said, God, either make me the boss, he's my little brother, either make me the boss or I'm not going. Instead, he just said, man, little brother, I believe in you. And I'm going to help you become all that God has for you. I'm going to tell you, I thank God for the errands in my life. The people that were willing to just come alongside and say, I believe in you. And I'm going to hold your arms up. If you'll only serve to get a position, you'll never be in position to experience the power. In this world, we glamorize titles so much. Listen, when I become a follower of Jesus, you know, you know I, I get better titles from my father than you can get in a house. He calls me a priest. Ain't nobody ever called me a priest. He calls me an ambassador. He calls me a co-heir of the inheritance of the Son of Man? Are you kidding me? And then we to, we need an additional title on top of that? I just say, Jesus, I just want to stand up in front of you one day, and I just want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's well done. And I think... I think we get so caught up in like who we are in whatever totem pole. I was driving around the city in San Francisco yesterday, and I just, we got stuck in traffic, and I'm looking up at these buildings that just go up as high as you can see. And I just thought, God, we're so small. But just give me my part. Whatever my part is, I'll do it. Number two, if you feel like Aaron, listen, serving other people will change your life. So we always talk about the life change for other people, and I do believe that God's going to use you to change other people's lives, but serving other people is going to change you. I have no indication that Aaron had ever been privy to a miracle of God before in his life, and yet this is the same guy that took a stick and threw it down it became a snake. This is the same guy that stood next to Moses as he held his hands up and the seas parted and an entire nation walked across. This is a guy that was on the front row seat of some of the greatest miracles in the history of humanity. And it came because he was willing to serve someone else. And I think for some of us, we're missing the amazing opportunity of seeing God do amazing miracles because we're worried about the position in the house. Just worry about your position with the Father. And you just say, God, I, if, you, if you'll throw a towel over your arm and serve, I'm going to throw a towel over my arm and serve here's the third thing, and here's the, here's, the, here, here's the honest-to-goodness truth. There are lives, there are lives that are waiting to be saved on the other side of your obedience. Nobody knows that more than me. So, I now get to be the director of church planting for ARC, which is this amazing honor. I serve with and and under some of the greatest people uh, in the world today. I've baptized thousands of people. I don't even know how many. I've led tens of thousands of people to Christ. Don't even know how many. I I honestly don't know. In nations all over the world. Um... We started a church. We've started a bunch of campuses. I've coached and trained hundreds of church planners. But my life didn't start there. When I graduated high school, um, I went off to the United States Air Force Academy. And people always used to ask me, oh, did you want to fly? Is that what you want? And I said, no, I wanted out. Um, I grew up... uh, Maybe some of this might sound familiar in your situation. I grew up; my, my parents were divorced. My father uh, battled alcohol his entire life, and and um, and my mother was bipolar, very abusive, emotionally and physically abusive. Uh, I mean, so like so much so that, like I mean, I, I left the jacket at school when I was eight years old, and I was beaten until I passed out. Like that was, and I didn't even tell people. Always say well, like you didn't tell anybody. I thought everybody else was getting the same thing. That was my normal. So I grew up quite honestly thinking Christianity was a joke. Because I'd never met a nice one. So when I went off to college, I I really didn't have any thought that of God. I'd only been in church a few times. In fact, I would tell people that I worshiped a God, but it was me. My... uh, third year there, I ran into another player and I shattered the bottom half of my face. I have a titanium jawbone from here back to here and I don't have any feeling down here in my face. I came home and I knew I couldn't go home. I couldn't go home to that mess. The dysfunction and the fighting and the pain. So I found myself in Birmingham, Alabama of all places. I got into school there. And to pay my way through college, I worked third shift in an iron ore mine. I would work all night, and then I would drive to the school, sleep in the parking lot. And I would go to classes all day, drive back, go to work again, and just do it all over every day. And I was so lonely, and I was so depressed, and I was so without purpose. I used to dream about driving my truck into a telephone pole. Every day, I wanted to take my own life. And the sad part is, the only thing that kept me from doing it was that I was so lonely and so isolated that I was afraid that there wouldn't even be anybody to come to the funeral. I had a next-door neighbor that had invited me to church. She said it was a church plant. I was like, "I didn't know a church that could start. I didn't even know that was a thing. And then she said it was meeting in a high school. I was like, "Oh, that's a cult." But like how many of you know like when you get lonely enough like a cult sounds like a good like, Yeah, I'll join your cult, whatever. And I'll never forget like the day that I pulled up this lost 19-year-old kid with no family, with no friends. I pulled into the parking lot and there were people parking cars and I literally thought that's so weird Christians don't know how to park. I realized after a few minutes they weren't parking cars, they were parking people. Because they made me feel like a million bucks in the parking lot. I I sat in the car. Maybe some of you felt like this the first time you ever came to church. Like my hands were sweaty and I was nervous and I didn't know if they were going to make me do anything weird. And I walked in and this middle-aged lady came walking towards me and my heart just dropped down to my stomach. I just thought, I didn't have nice clothes. I didn't have any money. So I I at least knew the uniform that you were supposed to wear, and I didn't have it. And I just expected for her just to say, hey, we don't really need you in here. Like, you can go on home, go get some clothes and come back. I stuck my hand out to shake her hand, and she moved my hand out of the way. She gave me a hug. And she meant it. She showed me where there was coffee, and they had this little information center set up, and there was a bathroom. And showed me like where everything was. Like gave me this. Like they'd set the whole thing up for me. She walked me into the auditorium, and people were worshiping. I didn't know what they. I didn't know who they were waving at, but they looked excited. But here's what they had that I didn't have. They had a joy. I watched a joy that I had never seen before and the pastor said with heads bowed and eyes closed if today if you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'll never forget the moment where I said God if you're real do you remember that moment? do you remember? I said God if you're real God if you're there I'm all yours I can't feel like this for one more day God, if you could use somebody like me with all my mistakes and all my shortcomings, if you could use somebody like me, God, use me. And that day, I received that radical grace that changes you. I remember I walked to the back of the auditorium that day and that same greeter, that lady who, I don't know what battle she had to fight that morning to come to church, I don't know what her marriage was looking like. I don't know what her personal finances were looking like. I don't know what her kids were acting like. I don't know how if she felt uh, on fire at her job. I don't, I don't know if she just had a fight with her neighbor. I don't know what she was dealing with, because what I know is in that moment, she found something to serve that was bigger than whatever problem she had walked in the door with that day. And she was willing to put all that to the side to help a kid who had no family And who was depressed, find a way to come home. And I'll never forget, I walked to the back of the auditorium and her tears were running down her face. She gave me another hug and she said, welcome home. And for a 19-year-old kid that didn't have a family, my life didn't change that day because of a pastor. My life did not change that day because of a worship leader. My life changed that day because of a greeter in a high school auditorium in Birmingham, Alabama. And I have led thousands and thousands of people into a relationship with Jesus. And I've never been qualified, I've never been without a past. I just said, God, with all of my hurts, with all of my hangups, with all of my problems, I give you my life. And today, I believe that you can begin to take the step. For some of you, you've kind of been out of the game for a little while. Some of you walk into a church like this and you go, God, surely there's no place where you could ever use me. I'm telling you, as long as I get up in my city and in your city, there is a 19-year-old kid that deserves a chance to come home. And you can be that in this city and you don't have to sing and you don't have to preach. You just do the thing that you can do and your pastor will do the thing that he can do and together you can be a beacon of hope and healing to a world that needs it now more than ever. Some of you today need to make the decision. God, I've been fighting for years to try to be Moses but today I just commit to being somebody's Aaron. I'm just going to believe in somebody. I'm going to support somebody. I'm going to help make somebody great. Some of you have been called to be a Moses in this life, and you've been telling God for too long all the reasons that you can't do something for Him. And I'm here to tell you today, it's time to roll up your sleeves. It's time to get in the game, because this church will never be as good as it could be, as it will be in the moment that you get in the game. Now, you personally, You hear messages like this and you go, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that. Now, I'm talking to you, girl. I'm talking to you. But there's a story, there's a life that's waiting to be changed on the other side of your obedience. For some of you today, you you need to come to that place that I came to now almost 16 years ago where you say, God, I admit that you haven't been number one. I admit there's sin in my life. And today, in the best way I know how, I commit my life to you. I'm going to give you my life today, Jesus. For some of us, can I say it like this? Like today like, maybe we, like, is the day that we need to stop acting like a Christian and we need to be one. That you can put down all the pretense and that today you just say, God, I give you my life. And this is the prayer that I pray with my family. God, whatever you can do through a man, do it through me. Like whatever miracles you can still do, want to do, desire to do, like whatever you want to do, God, you do it through me. I'll take it. Whatever you can do through a family, do it through my family. And then whatever you can do through a church, do it in this church. We're going to close. I'm going to pray those two prayers. God, that you would give God your life and that whatever he can do, that he would do it here in this house. Can I pray for you?